With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over a hundred casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, overplayed by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome back to that Chelsea podcast where Chelsea have drawn nil-nil against Aston Villa in the FA Cup. We'll go to an unwanted midweek replay. Yay! Um, Joining me to look back on a frustrating, promising, encouraging, inevitable night at Stamford Bridge last night is Mr Tom Curley. Tom, how are we doing on this Saturday morning? I'm, I'm good, thanks. All of those words are absolutely absolutely true and in some ways it's uh, an encapsulation of Chelsea's season in just how promising at times it can look but then also at the end of the day you don't score your chances you don't win many games and that's sort of been the Chelsea mantra for this season so uh, yeah there was there was a it was a, it was a really it was a good nil-nil I think I think you can describe that game as entertaining and it was quite fast-paced and it the game did seem to tick by pretty quickly but the result is not not ideal for either team really and we will get onto that shortly. As all I do, guess I get them to give themselves a plug. So, Tom, tell people where they can find you and all your stuff. Yeah, so all my written work, um, mainly at football.london um, and also little bits for the Liverpool Echo and Manchester Evening News along the way. Um, and then also uh, at Tom Coley 49 on Twitter for general football and at the moment cricketing ramblings uh, as the winter goes on. Yes, Tom's links will be in the description below. Right, Tom, Chelsea have some other before we get into the game. Just thoughts. I thought it was probably the f- f- first 60, 65 minutes of probably some of the best football we've played all season. We could, should have been two up maybe during that period of time. I then kind of think fatigue showed, you know, we played three days prior and Villa had, had a, a basically a two week, two week break. And in the last, 20, 25 minutes, Villa probably could have gone on and won it if it were not for some, you know, impressive Geordie 
Petrovic says, who we'll get on to later. It was just, there was a lot to like, especially, you know, given some of the circumstances of like a late, late injury just before the, the start of the game. But it did also to me feel like this felt potentially like our best chance of progressing through to the cup had gone. It like, as much as like it was, I re- I'm pretty pleased with the performance and we'll get on to that. Whereas also part of me going, we've got an unwanted replay at Villa Park and I'm pretty sure mm-hmm. Aston Villa haven't lost at Villa Park for like some crazy long amount of time. Um, so it did feel like as encouraging as a lot of that performance was, it did, it just did feel like missed opportunity. And will we, will we come to regret that? And unfortunately I think we may, we may do. Yeah. I'm just looking at Aston Villa haven't lost um, at Villa Park since September. And that was, that was in the, that was in the Carabao Cup. Um, before that, you're going all the way back to February last year when they lost to Arsenal in that Jorginho game. Um, I think the long and the short of it is exactly what you said at the top there. Chelsea were good the large portion of the game after a slow 10 minutes, you know, concede the goal early on, um, disallowed for offside. I think the way that Chelsea responded to it, though, and really took control of Villa, I think that is probably the most controlled 60 minutes of football we've seen, Chelsea. Um, it's It's the best I think I've seen them since they played against Arsenal um, and were 2 up for 75 minutes. But in that game, a lot of the control was sort of off the ball, stopping Arsenal from progressing the ball. Whereas against Aston Villa, Chelsea dominated possession, had lots of the territory and were, if not creating clear-cut chances, creating quite a lot of half chances against a really, really organised uh, set-up from Aston Villa. And that's that's no mean feat. Aston Villa are third in the Premier League for a reason. They are a really, really good side, really, really well organised. They know their strengths and they tend to be able to exploit other teams' weaknesses. Um, It did feel like a missed opportunity, especially as Chelsea are at the moment so strong at home, unbeaten in 10, um, unbeaten this year, scoring goals at Stamford Bridge as well. Um, And away from home, it's really, really quite woeful. Um, So it's going to be a big, big challenge uh, at Villa Park, albeit the last time we did go there, we did win, right? Um, uh, under Graham Potter early, early on, about however long ago, 16 months ago. Um, but in terms of this season, I, I think there's a chance that Chelsea can do this because Villa have got their eyes on Europe and they will want this replay no more than Chelsea do. I was looking it up yesterday. Chelsea, I think they're going to have ended up playing eight games in the first six weeks of January compared to Arsenal, who are playing, I think, four games, basically. So with the Carabao Cup semi-final and the replay now, it, it adds to Chelsea's workload and they haven't really had a winter break. But I think that can be a positive as well as a negative because I think yesterday we really saw, even though it was rotated at the back and uh, up front, it looked like a really quite well-coached team, which isn't something you've always been able to say about Chelsea this season. Yeah, yeah. Before we get into the game, Tom, we do obviously where, as you mentioned, it has gone to a replay. I'm just going to get the replay chat out there now because this is basically just a very controversial topic. Whenever you bring it up or, or on social media, and if you're, you know, if you don't probably provide the careful caveats, then you will just get, you know, slaughtered for basically saying you don't get it. Uh, you know, <laughs> look at you, big club mentality, disregarding all the lower clubs. Um, Tom, as you mentioned, neither side wants this replay. I think. Bold proposal. And I know people are going to be like, people People will not be pleased with this because not all clubs will necessarily agree to replays, to which I say, yeah, but not all 
but like some games in rounds of a cup have VAR, some don't. So you're going to have complaints there. And they said, for example, if this game had been, you know, against the championship Middlesbrough midweek and Middlesbrough got that goal, that goal would have stood. Anyway, point being, I think if you're in the cup against a team from the same division, there should automatically be no replay. Just automatically. And then I think there should also be the additional option. If you're not playing a team in the same division, that there is the option, you know, if both sides agree beforehand not to take the replay, then there is no replay. I'm thinking more about, let's say, a Premier League and Championship side. But mm. I think that potentially less like if it's Premier League and League One or something, or, you know, yeah, Premier League and League Two, I think obviously that league, the lower league side would obviously take a replay. But just thoughts, I know it's not an ideal solution, but basically put, it just adds more games to a schedule. We already kind of moan enough about players getting flogged um, with the amount of football they play. And yes, we obviously retort to that as, well, you've got a squad, use your squad, etc. Yes, also injuries, etc. But to me, it just feels like a logical solution. And I don't know if it's next year replays are sort of getting axed or if it's a point replays are getting axed. I feel like every year is kind of talked about this is the year replays get axed, whatever, from certain points. And I know from later rounds, replays get axed. But it just feels like nobody wants another game of this last night. And and look, I'll be honest, I think I'd have rather gone to extra time last night, even if I do think it would have increased our chances of going out, just given the way the game state was going. I'd rather have got that done and out of the way last night than have to, you know, get this in another midweek. And it's if it's, you know, I think if it's potentially like a midweek, it's either the, you know, the 7th or like the 21st. And that's, you know, either way, it's going to be in between Prem games or a potential League Cup final during the time. I think it's more likely the, the 7th. So it's in between Palace. Yeah. So, like, again, neither of us... Like, you know, those are two big games for Chelsea in their quest to move up the Premier League table as well. And Villa will have their eyes on, you you know, qualifying for the Champions League just through through league position anyway. So, yeah, just long and short of it, there's not an ideal solution, but just thoughts on that, that idea that, you know, on the replays. I have no particularly strong thoughts on replays, but I know that I really don't want to watch more football like this. Um like, I completely agree with you. I, I, I'm not 100% sure on the voting and how sort of having... I know you, you make the VAR point, which is a really good point, but I, I don't know how I would feel about clubs actually actively voting for and against replays on a sort of round-by-round basis, albeit before the... Uh, is it before the fifth round anyway, and then they get scrapped, whatever. Um, I, I, I do quite like the... I do quite like the the different divisions... Um, like keep keep replays with different divisions because I would say like no, no nobody needs Chelsea versus Aston Villa no, no like the fans aren't that bothered. Um, it's it's also the fact that it has to be in the midweek as well for fans. It, it's not optimal particularly, and it, the, the FA Cup is already used as this competition to sort of rotate teams. Um, maybe that's a good thing for squad players, but when you've got injuries and when you know when you've got Problems in sort of balancing and rotating the side. Anyway, it, it's re- it's really not ideal. I, I, I'm pretty relaxed on whatever they do with, with replays personally. But as I say, I, this doesn't benefit anybody. Is anybody really particularly excited? I, I, I would scrap it for the time completely, just as a concept. I quite like the cut and dry of the Carabao Cup, where if it's not over by 90 minutes, then you're going to penalties. It's quite ruthless, but... Extra time is so dull, so so dull. Um, and for me, it, it would actually promote sort of more attacking football towards the end of games, which I think is I think is quite good. Um, because would you rather risk losing the game in normal time but go to the lottery of penalties, or would you rather you know sort of chance your hands to, to, to win the penalties? I think that's quite an interesting debate to be had. 
honestly, I'm quite on the fence with replays. If they got rid of it, I would be like, sure. I think I think that's fine. I think they do, they need to they do need to make a change right now, where they either make this make it like a divisional structure for replays, or they do the vote. I just think it can't go on that every game is definitively going to be a replay because it, it's too much for a lot of teams. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, if you also think about like what Chelsea have got coming up, they've now got Liverpool on Wednesday. There are bigger games on the horizon than with Chelsea sort of just about knocking at the door now of like the top six. The last thing they really want is to have to think about going to a really, really intense and fired up Villa Park, and Villa Park will be exactly the same. They want to try and remain in the top four and push on in Europe. The last thing they want to do is the Chelsea side that are really keen to try and progress in the cup as well. So it might be a good game. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's the right thing to to keep. Yeah, indeed, indeed. And as I said, I would have much rather, as I said, the game even go straight to penalties yesterday, even if it meant we were placing penalty specialist Demi Martinez. Well, we've got our own in, in Jordi Petrovic, which could have been quite could have been quite a fun shootout. But also, I'm thinking like, I just you know I want to get it done. You know, I just want to get it done because it's just another game for Chelsea season. And realistically, now that replay probably just does take on less importance than you know the original mm. tie did, just due to when it. Yeah. When it falls and matches, that is just unfortunate. Um, Tom, as for the game itself, I was kind of fairly accepting of what was going to happen fairly early on as well as Chelsea were playing. I literally said to multiple people, I said this message to, to, to numerous people, including yourself, fun watch, playing well, so I'm prepared for the inevitable. Um, <laughs> the inevitable did not happen, but it did become quite clear to me from you know point on, yeah, we're not scoring them. The best, the best outcome for this is probably a replay. Um, it was just frustrating. So let's talk about what what was all string. I don't know if we're going to get Aston Villa that average again. Like mm. the amount, like we talked about in the midweek, Middlesbrough playing out from back was poor, but this was our Aston Villa side who were levels above that side, mm. and they were giving the ball away to us in poor areas, and we didn't capitalize on that. It was really frustrating, and I guess it's also really frustrating that that's probably, and it's not to you know single out blaming him, but Cole Palmer's probably the second time in, in a few weeks, but he, you know, he's been presented sort of these opportunities and he has not taken them, which is, guess, yeah, which is a bit frustrating. I mean, but I, I guess, and I get your point and sort of some of the chances, you know, Cole Palmer getting the ball on the edge of the box twice and getting a shot away um, is you can't bank on that happening in the second leg, but Villa also can't bank on giving Cole Palmer half that sort of chance and him not scoring. So, I think Villa will also say we really, really got away with one there. Um, and I think Chelsea deserve credit for that um, because it, it reminded me a little bit of the Brighton tie in, in the Carabao Cup where we came into it on a bad run of form and everyone was sort of like, we're going to lose here. And Chelsea won. And that was genuinely a surprise at that time. And I think yesterday, um, I think people probably expected to lose to Aston Villa. Um, maybe not after beating Middlesbrough and, and with the home form. But I think there were probably justifiable. Aston Villa were just about evens for that game, if not probably favourites going into it, given their break. So to come away with a draw and to have not exactly been hanging on, I think Chelsea were bought their luck maybe towards the end of the game, defended well-ish. I mean, Petrovic had to make two good saves. Villa just upped it and were able to really take command of the game, whereas Chelsea subs didn't, something I think we'll come on to. Um... Going to Villa Park will be really, really tough. There's no doubt about that. But I think we have seen improvements in Chelsea over the past couple of weeks to suggest that actually there's nothing really to fear because 
losing to Villa at uh, Stamford Bridge earlier in the season and losing to Newcastle are the outliers of what has been some really strong performances against the top sides in the league. And that run of Arsenal, Tottenham, Manchester City all came. And I think that performance against Villa that we saw last night was, was sort of comparable to that in the way that Chelsea took the game to Villa and controlled the possession for large periods and really asserted themselves on the game, both on and off the ball. The way that Gallagher and Palmer pressed from the front relentlessly um, was really, really impressive. Caicedo deeper and the sort of bravery of, I think, of Dezazi and Badiashu and Gilchrist all stepping up to really not give Villa time to play through the midfield. I thought that was all really good and things that can absolutely be taken into Villa Park. Um, Chelsea might not get chances as good as the ones that Cole Palmer took in the replay, but I think given that we've seen Palmer score from chances much harder than that, there has to be belief, actually, that, that, that this game isn't over and that Chelsea can be more than matches for the side. Yeah. Uh, Tom, we obviously kind of suffered the, a blow before the match even started when Levi Cobble was ruled out of starting and that meant Alfie Gilchrist came in and started, he, you know, he got 60-65 minutes. Uh, Tom, arguably the biggest game of his Chelsea career so far, the biggest test of his Chelsea career so far, and I thought, you know, just really solid. Just really solid. Yeah. You know, not, didn't necessarily have to do didn't do anything too crazy, you know, was not necessarily, you know, bombing forward, etc. but was just solid defensively and basically did, you know, it was handed a tough task against, a, you know, a, a tricky and good Villa attack and he did well and kept them at bay and that was just really encouraging and it's been encouraging that in this last month or so that Alfie Gilchrist has emerged as someone that Mauricio Pochettino can turn to in these situations. Yeah, absolutely. I... I was doing some work sort of writing about the team that I would have picked for the game and that I sort of expected Pochettino to pick for the game. And I did I did leave Gilchrist out, even though in a cup game, perhaps this is this is perfect for him. It's a little bit of a free hit almost for Gilchrist. You know, they're like if Chelsea lose and Gilchrist is in the team, it's not like the worst thing ever. Um when he came in though, I was absolutely fine with sort of what happened on the pitch. Uh, I thought he was really, really impressive. Um he stepped out quite a lot into the midfield and really put pressure on. He stepped out with the ball. He came in centrally with the ball as well. Um, and considering that Preston targeted his side quite a lot uh, in the third round, I thought he put up a really good showing against a much better opposition. And the fact that it was him that came off for Ben Chilwell is is no slight on him, but more just the sort of fact that Dizassi's Going back, uh, going to right back, and everything sort of changing around just made sense basically at that stage of the game. And it is really, really nice actually that Pochettino has has got Gilchrist into the side because it's a role you think might have been uh, filled potentially by someone like Trevor Chalaber, given their sort of overlap in in roles and ability to play on the right hand side. It's really, really good for Gilchrist. It, it is good for moving forward with the academy, and I know people get angry at the sort of lack of time given to common players. But I think given what Pochettino's had to deal with over the first six to eight months of his Chelsea career, the fact that it, it, it's taken this long to get Gilchrist in is is is, is, is fine, basically. And, and he, he's now part of this squad and he's becoming a really useful member. He, he's, um, he's the finisher, effectively, in games usually. 
Uh, but to see him put up a strong performance there is is really, really good. And it means that Chelsea do have options both from the bench and from the starting games if Gusto ever needs to play left back or anything like that. And maybe it will reduce the strain on Colwell because he's played a lot of football this season. He's played a lot of football in an unnatural position. So I'm not really surprised that he picked up an injury. It, it was really nice to see. Yeah, yeah. Tom also like a quick one, but perhaps more standout players. But I thought Ben Wabadi Shield actually played a really, you know, pretty solid shift the other day, considering, you know, that he'd not been in the side for it and we had seen his sort of struggles when he had come back into the side. I thought, you know, just side point, he's been out of the side for a while, not really been involved as much, but that was just a nice solid performance when he was on the pitch. Yeah, I've, there was one moment when I think he sort of almost tripped over the ball a little bit Newcastle like. And then he gave Bia Watkins that chance to Petrovic to save, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, but playing that. out of position, he's he's not he doesn't look the most natural left back, but it's not surprising. I thought they might have put like Dzaski at left back and kept Badiashile in the middle, but I don't think there's any ideal answer when you're playing with four centre backs um, in in the team. I mean, most of Villa's play sort of came on the break and came on the left in that in that first half specifically, uh, more towards uh, more towards Gilchrist. So I think Badiashile was solid. He, you know, he's not going to overlap. He's not going to bomb on then again neither does Colwell I think it's just reassuring that something like that didn't cost Chelsea the game or anything like that um and I mean when Ben Chilwell came on I know we, we spoke about this there wasn't really much different wasn't much change I can't remember a time where Chilwell got into the Villa half himself so um it, it was solid enough and you know did well in the air in the end because Villa had looked threatening from set pieces uh throughout the throughout the entire game yeah indeed uh Tom Go on, just not, but Moises Caicedo, like, again, I just feel like we're almost getting to this thing and it, you know, without trying to get, you know, too hyperbolic, it's almost sort of like, it almost feels like we're getting to sort of like, almost like Kante, just like, oh yeah, can't, even we go like Kante standard, like solid, good game, like there were, you know, more players' performances here, you kind of, you know, so stand out. And that's not to say Caicedo is, is anywhere sort of at the level NG was, but it just does feel seal for the last month or so. We've just basically been saying, you know, Bob, you know, not tracking his runner at Middlesbrough away. Well, we've basically just been saying with Moises Caicedo, just like a really good game, sort of just going under the radar a bit. And yeah, I'm not, you know, the narrative around him from the, some media and other sort of sections of fan base that he's kind of, you know, about that signing aside. Like it, it's just been like Moises Caicedo the last month and a bit. So it just really showed his value to this Chelsea team, hasn't he? Like again, just yesterday, just a really solid performance. Yeah, he's been... Really quite good now, as you say, for between four to six weeks, probably a little bit longer. And it's really easy for sort of wider media and wider fans to point the finger and say, what is he doing? Well, if, if you're not noticing Kaiseido in a game, I think I think he's doing his job um, in general. He's not the sort of keystone to a team playing out of the back because that's not how Chelsea use him. And I think at times yesterday, there were points where both Fernandes and Kaiseido were taking up similar positions. So that's why I'm not as against Fernandes being higher up as most people are, because they can sort of step on each other's toes sometimes. And you don't need, even against a good pressing team like Villa, you don't need two players comfortable on the ball to play out like that in in, in a pivot. You don't need that. Not many teams have that. Um, So getting Fernandes further up is good. I've been really impressed with how Caicedo and Gallagher play together. Um, because they just have the legs to cover the ground in midfield and then it can allow Palmer to play in the 10 and you get sort of an extra attacker. And when Chelsea are playing against your sort of lower blocks, I think that's uh, something that can really, really be exploited in the future. 
um, just really solid. And, and I, I know the comparison you mean with Kante, and I know that you don't mean it in a way of he is Kante, right? But it is just that sort of, yeah, he was really good again. And you feel like you should bring it up because there is this narrative around him not being good enough, not being worth the price tag. It, it, it's not really about that. How good is his performance? Like, forget the price tag. Let's ignore that completely. And it's been really, really nice, actually, that, that Chelsea have been able to get the most out of him or start to get the most out of him in recent weeks. And going under the radar is absolutely fine. I think he won't mind that either. He's been really important to what's been going on. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. Um, Tom, kind of guess, a sort of another standout, and certainly the standout, certainly that last 20, 30 minutes, Jordi Petrovic. Um, I know when you were on for the season preview show, you were a lot bigger on Robert Sanchez than a lot of Chelsea people uh, were. <laughs> Um, but I think Come even, on. <laughs> even you as someone who was, you know, quite was fairly, you know, upbeat on the Robert Sanchez signing. But I said Petrovic has surely secured the number one berth for now anyway. Immediately. He has not put a foot wrong in a Chelsea shirt and he's made, you know, some big, big saves in this last, again, this sort of last in this period since since Robert Sanchez has been out. Yeah, no, Petrovic has been brilliant. Um, I mean, outside of that Everton, the, the Everton goal where he flapped at a corner. Come on, it's his first game. He's away at Goodison Park. We're already one or down. I, I think he's been really, really good. There was p- perhaps the Middlesbrough goal at the end of the game. He might, he'll might he be annoyed to have conceded from where he did, considering some of the other saves he made. But at the end of the day, it didn't really matter. Um, I think he's still got to be more commanding with set pieces. And he does struggle a little bit with crosses. But in terms of shot stopping, he's been really, really solid. I mean, there was... The shot first half, was it? No, it was second half. Was it Douglas Louise who hit one in and it, it sort of came through some bodies and Watkins looked like he might sort of make a move to go for the ball. And Petrovic had to react late to it, but he held the ball so solidly. And I thought that that's a really underrated save. He's not sprawled away and dived away and parried it and tipped one in from the top corner. But it's just a really, really solid piece of goalkeeping. And there was the Watkins save in the second half as well at his near post. And then the one from Matty Cack is just, it's really, really good goalkeeping. And on the ball, he's not as good as Rob Sanchez. He, does, he doesn't take the risk that Sanchez does. And Chelsea don't get the benefit of playing out from the back that you get with Sanchez. Um, but he's he's got clarity in what he's doing. If the ball comes back to him and he doesn't feel comfortable enough to make a pass, he will just get rid of it. And I think even in this sort of world of, People getting used to what the expectations of the goalkeepers are, it's quite reassuring to see someone not take risks that they're not comfortable enough to make. Um, and for a goalkeeper that has come in unexpectedly in the last two months, he's been really good. And everything we sort of hear about Petrovic is positive from within the club, from people that have coached him, from people that have watched him in America. People expected him to become the Chelsea number one. Perhaps not like this, but everyone seemed to suggest that Petrovic could very much go on to become the number one. And I think this is this is his spot to lose. It, it, it's unfortunate for Sanchez, who I don't think had done loads loads wrong before going out. But Petrovic has, in the short term, he's been an upgrade. He's he's I think he's saved Chelsea more goals than than Sanchez would have in, in the same position. And he brings confidence. Um, I know Deb on Twitter describes him as an albatross, basically just because he's got 
a wingspan and having watched Kepa and continue to watch Kepa highlights from his time at Real Madrid, it's really reassuring that, that Petrovic just makes things look easier because he's taller, right? And that that is, that's just the very nature of it. I've been really, really impressed with him so far. And as a goalkeeper, I, I really like what we see in terms of how clearly he thinks um, in terms of kicking the ball away. And then when it comes to making saves, he's made some big, big saves. So he's been really impressive so far, better than I thought he would be. Um, yeah, and, and I'm happy to be proven wrong on Rob Sanchez, by the way. I, I just wanted to give a little bit of balance to that argument. Yeah, no, and fair enough. And look, what I would say is, you know, all the praise Robert Sanchez is uh, playing out from back. I think, uh, he had also, I think it's better to say, left our Chelsea fans quite scared with some of his passing out from the back. Uh, and unfortunately for him, there have been quite a few notable examples of him giving away. But yeah, no, obviously I get you. Petrovic is sort of perhaps, you know, if in doubt, hoofed out type of mentality. But, uh, you know, I don't mind that from my goalkeeper. That's what that's what I get for growing up in the, you know, the 2000s with, with Petr Cech in goal. So yeah. it's, it's, it's it's normality restored and, and to a sense Thibaut Courtois as well. He in, reminds in, me in of... Yeah, no, th- th- there's, there's no problem with that either, by the way. Um, and, and I really like... It reminds me a little bit of Rudiger. Because Rudiger always had this sort of, yes, he was brilliant on the ball and he could rampage up the pitch, but he would also sometimes lump it out of West London if he needed to. And he would put the ball to the moon just to get get it gone sometimes. Even if he didn't really make up the territory, he would just slam it into the stands um, to relieve some pressure. And Petrovic sort of does that. He's not aiming to do it, obviously, necessarily. He wants to get the ball further down the pitch, keep it in play. But... It's just reassuring to know that he he doesn't feel the pressure to have to play every single time, and that's a big thing for a goalkeeper to not to not get these mixed messages. Yeah, yeah, no, indeed, it's been been uh, a very good period for for Jordi Petrovic. Um, Tom, obviously, you know there were missed chances. Noni, you know, has a shot shot uh, saved by Martinez. We obviously know uh, Palmer, you know, has a couple of ones. Also, found what's quite frustrating is I just feel that in is a point that listeners will hear at the end of the show where when Gabs gives his thoughts as always. But it's kind of things that Chelsea well I found Chelsea, we always just shoot so low at Emmy Martinez. It's like we always <laughs> shoot at his feet. I find it just like quite frustrating like in these two games we've seen against them. And perhaps even, you know, going back to the game we lost under Poswell last year, we always go low against Martinez and he's rather good, quite rather good down low with it with his feet in there. Just a full but no Chelsea, you know, Chelsea, you know, have those opportunities and work fairly, fairly wasteful. Tom, obviously I think it does sort of turn the last period of time I think in that period unfortunately the subs did not work um and we'll kind of get onto it now because as we said you know when we were messaging you know after the game yesterday we don't remember Mudrick touching the ball uh, yeah and then on the other hand unfortunately we do remember Armando Breyer touching the ball it was a very very bad touch when he could have <laughs> potentially been racing for a goal and instead it went out <laughs> for a goal kick um Taylor quite a Mudrick like touch actually <laughs> um Tom, is I guess you know, and there's maybe a question we'll get onto it later. When you kind of, I'm trying to think how to phrase this. Is I guess can we kind of maybe see why potentially Poch is at times not as you know, Poch can maybe be a bit justified in sort of waiting for his subs a bit. And I know it does tend to frustrate people, but you look at who comes on yesterday, and I don't think Chile really was able to impact the game much. I also think Chile's substitution rearranging sort of positions of a back line probably didn't help 
loads. Obviously, get Gilchrist being the one to come off for Chile. But, you know, mm-hmm. this, logically, I may as well, but I think it does reach off a bad line. But it did. I did also find it quite telling that Sterling, again, as frustrating as he was at points last night, you know, with wanting too many touches and holding on to the ball that bit, that bit too long, it did, you know, the noticeable drop-off in quality when those subs came on last night was was rather telling with, with Mudrick and Armando coming on the 77th minute. It did feel quite noticeable, that, that drop in quality, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I think that, that it was a change made out of being tired rather than actually thinking necessarily these players could impact the game. Um, logically, it made sense to bring on Breuer to try and get someone a little bit bigger and a little bit quicker in, into that position. But we've seen Breuer isn't necessarily the sort of difference maker from the bench. He's not playing with that confidence. I think the one change maybe you could have made would have been Chukwameka. But given Aston Villa were really on top of the game at that point, do you want to take off any of the midfielders? Probably not. Like Gallagher would be the one you take off, maybe Fernandes. And that's just a little bit of quality you lose when you bring on Chukwameka. Nothing against Chukwameka. Um, so... I think it was tough for Pochettino yesterday. I mean, the average age of the bench was less than 21. There were pl- quite a lot of players on there that haven't played any football in general, let alone, you know, like let alone this season. Um, and I just think that it was it became harder for Chelsea to get in the game when the subs came on because they weren't really in the game at that stage anyway. They'd already been sort of holding out and struggling to to assert themselves for about 15 minutes before the subs came. And I think they came, as I say, more out of legs and fitness than trying to change the game and get themselves in the game. Um, I mean, Mudrick was genuinely woeful against Middlesbrough so that I didn't have much confidence that he would make much difference here. And, And the risk is that you sort of, you're never quite sure what you're going to get with him off the ball either. Um, and against Aston Villa, if you switch off and one of their wingers runs past him or you get one of their fullbacks again that sort of runs past him and you let him go, that is a risk that you don't really want to take. Um, and we don't, you know, Matt Madueke I thought was was lively, but again, like, end product just doesn't really exist so if Palmer's not scoring the goals for Chelsea who's scoring the goals and it it was it was a problem but I I don't think Pochettino had too many options personally I like I don't think if you'd made if he'd made subs at 65 minutes or 70 minutes it would have made any real difference particularly um so I think Chelsea did well in the end to sort of not salvage a draw from that game, but to sort of get through the game with a draw in the end, having missed the chances to go ahead. I, I don't really know what I'm getting at here. Um, I didn't have a problem yeah. with the no, subs. I, I, I didn't think no, we I had to kind of get the what you're saying. Yeah, I feel like uh, that game. If that game was early on in the season, we'd have lo- we'd have ended up losing that game. I think it that did, is sort of a yeah, a bit of development like in this side because we were good. At, I think we were pretty good against Villa in the home game when we lost. And, it, you know, we created numerous chances. Sterling had another of those, could have squared it, but decided to shoot lower. <laughs> um, and then sort of Watkins scores on the break. So when Matty Cash went through and sort of cut inside and had that shot, I sort of thought that is literally the Watkins goal. Like, there it is again for us. Um, so I think Chelsea did well to sort of, like, get themselves some resilience uh, in, in, in that sense. And you've got to remember where Chelsea are building from. 
Yeah, no, indeed, indeed. It meant, you know, it's 10 unbeaten at Stanford Bridge, which again is just nice for but for you. There is a sense that as much as tricky as I knew the tie was last night, I did have confidence. I was going, well, we've got good home form now. We've got good home form. There's reason to be confident we can we can do it. And I guess the next step is improving that away form. And I think five of our next six are away. So I guess that would be a big test of, of Poch and, and this team. Uh, hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Going to move on to listener questions to further the conversation. And Tom, the first question comes in from someone you know rather well, Mr. Luca Foley, uh, who has a, a number has a couple of questions. Uh, firstly, could you see this result coming tonight as soon as you saw we weren't starting a striker? Now, Luca, I did sort of kind of answer this a little bit earlier. I wouldn't say as soon as I saw we weren't start, striking, starting a striker, but I did send to numerous people at halftime that I kind of had a feeling how this one ended. And obviously we did not end up losing it, but it became quite clear to me. And when I think Palmer misses plus that second chance, second or third chance as well, when it was about the 60, 65, and I was like, yeah, we're definitely not scoring today. That's when I res- resigned to knowing we were not, we were not, um, you know, we were not, we were not winning. Tom, how about you? When was the moment? Because I think maybe not starting a striker was t- a tiny bit, you know, for Luke's question, maybe a tiny bit presumptuous. Because again, with great respect to Armando Broya and someone who's, you know, perhaps bigger on it on him than others, he has basically shown nothing during this period where Nicholas Jackson's away. And Tom, sidebar, when you were last on, we went to the staunch defence of Nicholas Jackson. And I think this last month has not only has kind of justified our, our view for, you know, being so such strong backers of him, given what we have seen. And the fact that in his absence, we have had a couple of games. Well, we've had two games where Chelsea have failed to score and also a game against Fulham in the Premier League, which relied on us getting a penalty to score. As flawed as, again, this is just a side, side point to Lucas, as flawed as Chelsea are and as flawed as Nicholas Jackson is, we do miss him, don't we? And then just go back to answering Lucas' question. I stand by everything I said about Nicholas Jackson before and will continue to. I, I spoke about him on the Blue Crew podcast uh, last week and I made some pretty out... I don't know if it's outlandish. I, I said that Nicholas Jackson will go on to be a much better striker than Ivan Tony, and I don't think that's particularly controversial because Jackson could pass Tony's non-penalty goals his best non-penalty goal season this season. He needs five more goals to match Tony. Um, that's completely one of the point. I really like Nicholas Jackson. Yes, we have seen that Breuer has not exactly taken his chance. There's a lot of raw materials there, but we don't really see anything from him necessarily. Um, I don't particularly like Luca's question. Sorry to say, Luca, um, because I think a lot of what gained Chelsea those earned Chelsea those chances was. Not having a striker, I think the pressing from Palmer and Gallagher, like Chelsea had against Arsenal in the two-all draw, was 
fundamental towards Chelsea creating a lot of the chances and getting a lot of the high turnovers and making the runs in behind the defence that they did. It was the fact that both it's the catch-22 of having no striker. You can be freer and create more chances and you're a lot more fluid in attack, which we saw from Chelsea, especially in the first half. But then you do miss the focal point to put the ball in the net and it's Nani Madueke rather than, I don't know, Karen Benzema that's in the middle of the box. Or, you know... Have we seen anything from Armando Breuer to suggest that he would have scored if he had taken any of those chances? I, I, I don't think so. I don't really think so. Um, like, what did you what did you say? The the net the net benefit or the gross benefit you get of having Breuer in the team? I, I don't necessarily see it. Um, Chelsea created more than enough chances to win that game without a striker or without a you know a, a natural number nine. Um, and considering Cole Palmer is Chelsea's best attacker, best finisher, best creator, um, handing him, putting him in a position where he creates some chances, but also gets handed those chances via his pressing largely, that is not necessarily a bad thing. So, no, I didn't necessarily see the nil-nil coming. I thought it was going to be tough for Chelsea to create as many chances as they did before the game, especially when you're playing four centre-backs and then one of those goes off injured before the game. So I was positively surprised and really um, pleased with the way that Chelsea performed for those opening 45 minutes and the opening 60, 65 minutes in general. I didn't think Chelsea would get to that level last night. So for them to do that regardless, I thought was really, really good, actually. Um, And I'd rather see it that way than say, ah, there was no striker, we were never going to score. Because outside of Jackson... And people will have their questions over Jackson. There's no proof that anyone in this Chelsea squad scores those goals. Maybe Chilwell. You need Chilwell or James to take those chances. They're they're the, they're probably the second or third best strikers of a ball. Probably the, the first and second best strikers of the ball at the club still. So that 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 would be my point. Chelsea don't have a striker that I think makes that much of a difference in that scenario. Yeah, and obviously we saw Armando start midweek, and you know saw that one chance he did get actually ends up taking a bit too long and Johnny House and beats him to it and just bundles it into the net and he was pretty was ordinary like midweek against against Middlesbrough. Uh, Tom Lucas, second question. And what does the future hold for Armando Broya? Um, I'll be honest, this month he has not really pressed his case at all at Chelsea. It's a shame because, you know, I think that injury has obviously just had quite a big, big impact on him. Tom, I asked it on a couple of pods ago, I think. Uh, you know, there are links to a certain Mr. Karim Benzema. Um, does does the does the appeal of Carrie Benzema grow stronger every game that we see? Either you know Chelsea play without a, a recognised number nine, or start with Armando Broya. There are. I'm very conflicted on this matter, and I've I've made the point for and against Benzema. I don't really know where I stand. Um, the fan in me is like, yes, we need Karim Benzema right now. He would make a big difference to Chelsea. The sort of writer in me would say. What number one? I think there have to be reservations over how good Benzema is. Still, I think he 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 didn't play. He played in less than fifty percent of Real Madrid's league games in the end of twenty twenty three, albeit he scored hat tricks in most of them. <laughs> um, and he's been playing basically no level of football for the past six to eight months. He is going to cost an almighty amount of money, even if he takes a ninety percent wage cut. Is Karim Benzema actually going to be the difference between Chelsea and getting the Champions League? No, no, he's not. Chelsea are going to get in the Champions League no matter what they do. Is it worth 
not selling your soul, but going all out for Karen Benzema to maybe get to sip. I don't know. I don't I don't know if that's worth it. I would rather spend the next six months trying to see exactly what Chelsea have in Jackson and Breuer. Especially Jackson, because we know he's going to stay. Um, I think Armando Breuer gets sold probably not this window. I think it's too late, but probably over the summer. I don't know where he goes. I know that the, the, I think I echo what Liam Toomey's been saying a lot this week about the fact that Chelsea are going to struggle to sell players and especially someone like Breuer, because if you want big money for Breuer, you have to look at what, who's actually going to buy him. Um, and he, he's not he's not shown anything to prove that he's a £50 million striker, right? Uh, or even close to that. They'd be, you're looking at £35 million. I know there's a question coming up about a certain Aston Villa Colombian striker that didn't play last night. Um, and I'll try and avoid overlapping the two questions. The future for Armando Breuer is away from Chelsea, it seems. Um I do wonder who the replacement is, though, um, because I I don't know if you get somebody stack, stacks better than Breuer for your thirty thirty five million pounds. I don't I don't really know that. I've been a massive defender of Breuer. I really like him. I think those are the raw materials of a really strong striker. The injury has put a spanner in the works because we're still sort of waiting for him to get there. Um, and every time he plays this season, it is sort of with the caveat of, oh, yeah, but he's not really played that much football and he's coming back from this injury. And when he has played, he's been, you know, going on to rescue a game. And I just wonder how long you keep that up. How long can you keep saying, oh, yeah, but there's this with Breuer. Oh, yeah, but there's that with Breuer. Without seeing much at all from him. Uh, I mean, that Fulham game was really disappointing. He really didn't do much. Middlesbrough, sure, he was part of a team that won 6-1, but he wasn't central to it. I mean, Dezassi did more in the attacking curve than sort of Breuer did. So it's really unfortunate, but it's the way that sort of world football is going and that selling Breuer has more value to Chelsea than keeping Breuer. And it's disappointing to say that, but I think that is probably the way it's going to go. What, what, what do you think? Well, what I would say, Tom, you talk about Chelsea 1-1. If Chelsea, it's looking, looking back now, the prime time for Chelsea to cash in on Armando Breuer was after his loan spell at Southampton, because that's the most, that's the best version of Armando Breuer that people have seen. And you looked at his catalogue of goals that he scored there, albeit, you know, it was not loads, but I think it was about six or something, which wasn't bad. And you kind of did see, you know, a player there. Um, yeah, I think ultimately, I mean, it depends. I'm, I'm going to be honest, Tom. I'm, if you said to me, you get, you offload Breuer this January. You get Benzema on a six-month loan. I take it. I gamble, and then I go. I then trust Chelsea to then get that striker, that next choice, correct in the summer. Because let's be clear: if Benzema comes in, I don't think he's starting every game for Chelsea. I do not think you know have him in and to start every game. And I think Nicholas Jackson still our games. But Tom, I'm just gonna you know feel that we've got Liverpool in a cup final. Uh, Karim Benzema knows a thing or two about <laughs> playing Liverpool and knows a thing or two about cup finals. And is it worth? Get spending it on absorbed amount of fees to help out to help him get us over the line to win a domestic cup. Well, I mean, frankly, given our Wembley curse, then yes, given our <laughs> record at Wembley and the pain that stadium has caused me in recent years, then absolutely yes. Could he be the man to help us get past Aston Villa a replay against Aston Villa? Yes, could he have been the man last night to, to get us through that tie of those chances? Potentially, yes. I don't think this is going to happen. This is all just you know, fantasy, fantasy mm-hmm. stuff, but that is why I'm perhaps more bigger on. Benzema than most and I'd be willing to take that gamble 
because I don't think we necessarily have a striker. And I know people, I've seen people compare it to Gonzalo Higuain. My difference with that is that Gonzalo Higuain, I think, had not, you know, had obviously not reached the levels Benzema had. But also at Chelsea at the time, they did actually have a striker in Olivier Giroud and bizarrely chose not, and bizarrely underutilized him that season with him. And he was, you know, and where he was just utilized in the Europa League. And it's kind of telling the biggest game of, biggest two games of Chelsea that season, side point, the Europa League final, Giroud start, and all that Europa League run, Giroud starts. Higuain, I think, only has a 15 minute spell off the bench against Frankfurt and in extra time in the semi final second leg and does nothing. And the Carabao Cup final, which, which Higuain doesn't start. It's it's hazard false nine. It's like oh the fun times of that. Anyway, I do. That's my my. I get the issue when people compare to Higuain because Higuain basically actually came in and did wasn't trusted or was and this is by someone who coached him and worked with him previously wasn't really trusted. Whereas I think Benzema, yes, it's yes, I think he's you know perhaps on the decline a bit, and it is typical Chelsea to get a striker once they're past their once their prime years are behind them. See see numerous examples. But I would be more, I'd be willing to go for it because also, and I know there may be questions about Karim Benzema, the person himself. I get all that, the, all the baggage that goes around him. But I would like to think that maybe he would see it. You know, he's never played in the Premier League. Could he kind of use, think, okay, this is something I want to, I want to challenge myself with. I don't know. I said, this is all fancy stuff. He's not happening. And yeah, as for Bro, yeah, Tom, I think he stays. I think he stays in January and I think he's probably gone. In yeah. the summer, because I don't, I don't think Bro goes now. I don't think there's a way. I, I exactly. think, and also, I, I, I agree think... with you that if you could, if you were, if Chelsea were offered right now selling Broyer for 35 million and signing Benzema for six months before going and splashing the money on Osimhen, because let's face it, they're going to put up a fight for it. I think that I don't think that would be the most stupid thing in the world. I have reservations. But I, 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 I have my reservations about signing Victor Osimhen, but I think that's their plan to try I and think... go get him in the summer. I think as well that this is the natural pessimism of a Chelsea fan and someone around the Chelsea circle at the moment is that you don't have that much trust in any decision basically being right, especially not when it comes to massive, massive money and especially not when it comes to strikers. So it's only right that you are sort of sat there going, oh God, what if we were to sign Benzema and we didn't make it work? We would be that team that hasn't made it work. Yeah, and also I think, you know, talking about signing a striker and in just general, I think that can then also link on to uh, a later question as well, you know, um, but yeah, no, exactly. I mean, I, I basically, my rule is if Chelsea spend more than about 35 million on a player, I'm gen- generally pretty sceptical because that's kind of a ballpark figure of what would, you know, where signings work out. I look at the signings that have been, you know, obviously I think, you know, Moises Caicedo has, you know, has definitely broken that rule so far. And Enzo Fernandez, I think, you know, even if people question him a bit, has probably broken that rule so far. But I look at Chelsea's best signings, Malo Gusto, Cole Palmer, okay, Grant, he's a bit over 35 mil. He's 40 mil, but like those oh, yeah, two signings of Nicholas Jackson. Jackson. But even even to an extent, Axel Dazazi, even if it was did feel at the time, and maybe still does feel a bit of an unnecessary signing, mm. he's obviously still playing a lot. Those kind of signs I'm a bit more confident in. Um, but yeah, we'll move on to our next question. Next question, and it continues sort of the striker discussion, comes in from Dean Mears. Not match-related, but does trying to sign a striker but can't displace Ollie Watkins show a lack of ambition? Now, Dean, I'm not sure it shows a lack of ambition. I think it shows a flaw in strategy, to be honest. And I think that's probably being quite kind, Tom. Yeah. John Duran, whatever people think of him, whatever they've seen of him, you know, and there's clearly a player there, you know, for, you know, from the bits people will have seen of him this season but I think it's kind of a flaw in your strategy when 
you when you do not have a proven striker at Chelsea anyway, you're then willing to go, well, we'll go take a punt on another unproven striker who's going to need game time, but you also have another unproven striker there who needs game time. You then also got your other striker from your academy who's basically offered the same output as Mr. John Duran this season, who you've then got a decision to make. And look, as we said earlier, you could cash in on Armando Broya, but this kind of, this is where it kind of, I just kind of get frustrated with a model because it, to me, it just looks like you get Armando off the books, you get pure profit in the bank, fine. You then splash on John Duran and it's, hey, what, 30 mil? And you give him a contract and you amortize that cost over a number of years and you go, okay, but financially it makes sense. But what you're not moving the needle one bit in your squad. And it kind of feels like that's kind of just where I found it so frustrating and bizarre. You're not signing a strike who's a regular at another team. You're signing a, a backup at another team anyway. Then you're also basically, all you're doing is basically just improving your situation financially. Yeah, you're by, a player trading. That is it, isn't exactly, it? You're just, exactly. That's what it is. Exactly. Player trading. That's that's what it is. It just seemed just so pointless. Like, I don't doubt that John, John Duran could be a good player. And granted, our signing him would have given me the opportunity to make a very bad Duran Duran reference, you know, over, you know, the time of the podcast with we reference. But really, there's literally, there was just, there's never any point. And, you know, thankfully he's injured and it's not going to happen. But that just seemed so bizarre. And I think that's where people get frustrated with kind of the, the model and strategy that Chelsea have in place. But like, it's all well and good wanting to get these young players, etc. But there does, but the actual squad building element kind of seems to be missing. Like, I get, you know, they, the idea of getting all these young talents, but the whole idea of actually then putting them, assembling a squad and putting them all together seems to be the final part that is that is lacking in this strategy, really, isn't it? Yeah, and it, it becomes really hard to to get excited about signings of young players. Um, and I, you know, pod favourite David Washington. Well, what happens to him, considering he's just sort of, been kept around and not been able to use an well, international loan spot. Just a David Datro Fafana who was signed in January last year and is on his second loan of the season. And albeit, I know it's going to work out financially because David Datro Fafana doesn't have to play much football to be worth ten million pounds because he's been signed by Chelsea. He, he will be accounting profit. The same will go for Diego Moreira, signed for free. Chelsea will make profit on him. How much? It doesn't really matter, but it will happen. It just really reduces the sort of effect of a signing. And this is the way modern football is going. This is the way Chelsea are going to be run. But it, it, I don't particularly like it that much. And I, and I do, I hope, but have serious doubts over when Chelsea, if Chelsea, get back into the Champions League and their revenues are boosted and spot, new sponsorships come in and, and all of this stuff. I wonder if the player trading will take a backseat or if it will still be a, a big driver because then there's just the chance to make even more revenue, even more money. Um, that's the model side of things. As you, the, to go back to what you said earlier, like the, the, the gross benefit of selling Royer but signing Duran is minimal, if any. It, it, it's It's... It's unproven. You don't know. Maybe Duran could be brilliant. I think he, I think he's quite nice. I think he's got the raw materials, again, to be a really quite a good Premier League player. But if you're banking on raw materials, why not bank on the set that you've got tied down to a massive contract? Breuer, you know, Chelsea put Breuer on this contract last year. As you say, the best time to sell him would have been last summer for £30 million. 
But that was coming off the back of a really nice loan where everyone thought, hold on a second, this guy can really play for Chelsea. Maybe he would have. Maybe the injury changes everything. But I can understand why fans are so frustrated with this because Duran is so far away from what Chelsea need right now. And, okay, maybe people can get over if you basically flip Breuer to sign Duran. But when when you're so clearly in the need for somebody like Benzema in the short term, even like Giroud in the short term, when you get linked with number one alone for Duran, number two alone, which might not have an option to buy, and then number three swapping in for Breuer, that's where there's mixed messages. That's where people will start getting concerned. And that's why I think Dean has probably labelled this a lack of ambition because because it, it doesn't move the needle. It just says we're happy to, we're almost happy to make this change to bank on it potentially working in however long. And that isn't what people want to see. People want to see Chelsea are in a cup final. Chelsea are in the FA Cup fourth round, might be in the fifth round very soon. You know, they're in ninth, but on the verge of being around sixth. Um, we're going to go and sign John Duran. Hold on, I would rather Chelsea didn't do anything and banked on working with Pochettino, their coach, on developing players, on making their current group better than spending money on John Duran and spending just resources trying to sign John Duran in any form this window. I don't get it. I don't get it. And I like him. As I say, I, I will back this up by saying I quite like him and... Again, like if you have to say in the summer that Breuer goes and you you sign Duran, well, I think it's a little bit stupid and it's it is a flaw in the way that the system's working because you've spent all this time and energy to make to develop Breuer to give him a pathway to send him on loans to pay him the wages to offer him the contract just to sell him. Th- that's flawed and that is not just the Chelsea problem. That's a Premier League problem. That's a net, that's a PSR problem uh, for right now, which has to be tackled at some point before it becomes stupid, right? Before Arsenal starts selling Smith-Rowe to buy Kin and Dewsbury Hall and stuff like that, you know? Like, that. I, I digress. That That is a little bit outside of the outside of the question, but that is sort of the long and short of it. And, and I hope this isn't something that we just sort of have to start accepting as football fans, that this is the system, this is how it's going to be with American investors. Um, but I fear it might be. Yeah, I wonder how far away we are from at youth level going. You sign for that academy, and in a few years we'll spend we'll spend we'll spend twenty five million, and we'll bring you back to Chelsea because it's better for us financially. It's yeah. Because people used to say work. when um, when Arsenal signed a player, and it was ah, oh, look forward to him signing for Man City in in five years, and it's actually getting to the stage where that's actually the real thing. <laughs> like, should have sent oh, Cole to Man City so we could buy him for fifty million in a, in a couple of years' time. Oh dear, yeah, no, exactly, exactly. It's yeah, Dean, yeah, it was just a bizarre link and said may well be a decent player, doesn't move the needle, it's literally just player trading and you know, for us financially beneficial to probably try and do it, but again, doesn't really actually in terms of the things that actually fans care about, it has basically zero positive net impact. How do you get attached to players when you think this might be it? Is every player is sort of sellable? If you think Malo Gusto is a twenty year old right back. Well, if he has to go a couple of years and a big bid comes in, Chelsea will sell him and try and get next Malagosta. How do you ever get connected to those players if you think that might be what comes up? Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. 
In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Next question and final question comes in from RJ. Hey, lads. Thoughts on the approach Posh deployed? Uh, pros and cons. And what do you think he learned from this? Head of Liverpool. Um, I'll go to the second part. What do you, because I think this is the easy part. What do you think you learned from this head of Liverpool? Tom, I'm kind of wary of doing this because I think like we had a question when you were last on, like, could, uh, from, from a listener, was like, could it be a stepping stone? And we were like, probably not because <laughs> this is Chelsea. And, um, what do you think you learned? I kind of replied to Sassima. I don't think he learned a lot. I think he knew that he's got, you know, some good, some good starters. He's like, he's got his almost like some core good starters and then, what he has off a bench is perhaps not quite, you know, that that level, which we kind of saw last night. I don't necessarily think he learned loads about it. He maybe learned a bit more about Alfie Gilchrist, seeing how he handled himself, you know, against the, the toughest op- opposition he's faced so far. But I I don't know. what I, I, We'll go on to the other part of the question first, but I don't necessarily think he learned a huge amount about last night. From the, like, he knew Chelsea have, have still at times got have got issues in front of goal. Like he already knew that. I don't necessarily know how much we learnt, he learned from last night. I think last night showed development in a way that we haven't seen in recent weeks because practically since even you go back to like the Sheffield United game where the first half was really quite drab and poor. I know people were overreacted. We were a bit more calm about the situation. Preston the same. Um, I think last night was the best performance Chelsea have had in a 65-minute spell, as I say, since Arsenal, and in a very different way. So I think it was good in that way that Chelsea actually put out a strong performance against a strong team, because a lot of this recent run has come against... I mean, what have you got? You've got three games in there against Championship opposition, some lower league side, you've got Luton, Crystal Palace, Sheffield United, stuff like that. Chelsea haven't really done anything in this run. They've, they've been sort of good enough. Um which is good because Chelsea haven't always been good enough uh, in the past 18 months. But I think this showed, once again, that Chelsea can go toe-to-toe, can compete with and can cause problems to the best teams in the league, which will undoubtedly be needed for Liverpool. Chelsea, if they want to get anything, will have to be better in front of goal. And they won't be able to give Liverpool the the sort of chances that uh, they did against Aston Villa. Um, But... I, I do think it showed that Chelsea can can compete, can do this, can make a fight of it. And that's what I said at the start of the season that I wanted from this season. And progress has almost certainly been made. It, it, I think perhaps Pochettino knows now more than ever the maybe a group of maybe 14 players that he can trust. And, I mean, one of them is Rhys James, who's injured. One of them's Christopher Nkunku, who's injured. Um, like... Madueke, maybe he's starting to trust a bit more, but he's still a little bit too rogue to to start games. I'd be very surprised if Madueke starts against Liverpool because I don't think you can be that forgiving. I don't think you can be as forgiving as Madueke needs to be in the final third. He's he's creative, he's nice, he he solves problems, um, he's really neat and exciting, but he, he's he's not he's not going to punish you. And Chelsea need players, I think, on Wednesday night against. Liverpool, like Sterling, like Palmer. Ha, I'm saying Sterling, like he's you know some prolific sort of forward. But you need those people that 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 you sort of trust can actually finish the chance when they come to them. And 
I think now more than ever, Pochettino knows who those players are. He knows it's Palmer. He knows it's Gallagher. And I think, again, this is nothing particularly new. We've known it for a little while. But yesterday, really, for the first time in a couple of months, Chelsea played against a team that were going to cause them problems. And Chelsea hit back and responded with problems of their own. Um, and I think that, that that's a positive sign. But you know that with Crystal Palace, Wolves on the horizon, it could just as well mean nothing after that, you know, in a couple of weeks' time. Yeah, indeed. And as I said, as for, for Liverpool, I, you mentioned, you know, Palmer said, I reckon Breyer will probably start. I think that I don't see him going a second game in a row without a recognised number nine, even if Breyer himself has faults and will no doubt be probably subbed off at some point, having probably not done a, a whole lot more. As I said, I reckon you'll see Chilwell start at left back. The question will be if Cobble's fit enough to start, then I think he obviously comes in for Badia Shield and we'll kind of see the same back line we saw against Middlesbrough. Petrovic will be in goal. I think Gallagher will be in midfield. He'll be Enzo and Kaiseda with Gallagher. And then it will be Palmer, Sterling and Broya front three. I think that's what we will see. Yeah. I don't, you know, I don't see a world where Mudrick starts, given what we've seen of him against Borough and against yeah. Villa, even if I actually think that Villa game perhaps would have been better suited for him to start than, say, the Borough game. And Nonny, I don't actually think he's really done anything wrong for a while now. You know, he's he got a goal. He was good when he came on against Borough. He was all right yesterday. He's been in general pretty good, I think, this last month. But I just don't think he will start against Liverpool. I think it will be just it will be Palmer. It will be Sterling out wide, and I think it will be Breyer up top. Agreed. Anyway, that's a, a side point. And I think that um, actually gives you better options on the bench. I think that gives you. Yeah. If you want to take off Breuer and play Palmer centrally, if you want to bring on Chukwemeka, Mudrick's a better sub, Madweki's a better sub at the moment. I think that, and we saw that against Middlesbrough, we've seen it against Preston, and we've seen that in league games as well recently. I think that is that is the better way to go at the moment. Yeah, indeed. And uh, Tom, as for RJ's first part of the question, thoughts on the approach, Poch deployed pros and cons. Um, I mean, I said he was kind of hamstrung with what he could select, you know, in terms of, I said, because into, I thought I said one of the pros was considering that we had four centre backs out there on the pitch. And I think, and as much as we have been frustrated with Levi Colwell at left back, we would also say that we definitely think he offers more as a fullback than either go, in an attacking sense than either Abadia Shield or, 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 or an Alfie Gilchrist, right? As much as he can frustrate, you know, we don't think it's the best position for him. We have seen, particularly in the games against Fulham this year, Levi Colwell's impact actually, as a left-back. So I actually think, Tom, one of the pros last night was the fact we had four centre-backs on the pitch and we were still able to be relatively decent creatively, even if some of those chances did also come from from Middlesbrough, uh, from non-Middlesbrough, from Aston Villa, um, giving the ball away. But I did think, you know, that was good. I thought defensively we were fairly good. Obviously, there were a couple of times on in transition, you know, we did get potentially caught out a little bit, but I thought that was good. And I said, you know, I, as you mentioned, I think at the start of it, our pressing last night was really, really good. As said we caused Villa a lot of problems and get caused them to give the ball away, you know, in, in dangerous areas. I thought that press last night was was really really on it. And they said, as for cons to the approach, Poch had obviously I think we maybe talked about it. The lack of a focal point. There were times when we put crosses into the box, and it was just easy for Martinez to gather because there was no one, no one there to to get on the end of it. In terms of like the lineup and who we had available, I probably do have more pros and cons with that performance because that was actually I was relatively encouraged with that performance, given the personnel we had out there against that quality of opposition as well. But we were still able to produce a fairly solid performance. Yeah, I, I don't really have much to add. I think it's sort of what we discussed earlier: the catch twenty-two of the striker, the system he went with created the chances, but the system that he created 
wasn't able to finish the chances. And in this Chelsea team at the moment, you can't really have both because they don't have a player that is both able to be part of this creative, creative and pressing unit, but also finish the chances. That the closest thing they have to that is Cole Palmer. Cole Palmer had an off day. It doesn't happen. It's happened twice basically since he arrived. So um, I think it would be undeserving to be too critical of that. And I was I was really impressed actually by that defence and how well it played. I mean, you're not going to get that group of players playing in that system very often this season. Um, so to have that and to adapt so late against a really strong outfit that tests you, I thought was was mightily impressive. Um, Villa test teams in certain ways. You know that midfield. I know Tillemans hasn't played loads, but Douglas Louise, John McGinn. They're really tenacious players. And I think the Chelsea midfield, it was a really, really good battle in there. Don't remember the Villa wingers doing too much. Um, it was, you know, sort of Matty Cash cut inside for the big chance. And um, and Watkins caused problems like Watkins does. But I, I don't think that, you know, players like DRB, Bailey, when he came on, didn't really cause Chelsea that many issues. Um, and I think those problems were sort of came from fatigue and fitness. And again, that's impacted by the injuries that Chelsea have right now, because in an ideal world, Chelsea wouldn't have had to have gone as strong against Middlesbrough. They wouldn't have had to have gone as strong here against Villa, but there was there isn't really depth to this. And if you do get to the stage where you are starting, you know, you're already starting Gilchrist and if you're starting Mudrick as well and Madueke, and you're sort of thinking, well, who do we actually rely on in this team? And, you need to have those sorts of players. So I, I, I'd be very hesitant at being critical of the system that Chelsea played at all yesterday because I think it helped them more than it hindered them. Yeah. Also, RJ, till uh, till Cobble's injury, I was gonna one of my praises did Wonky from the bench. That was uh, was truly yes, wonderful. Absolutely. To see a better a Cole gets injured and uh, a second keeper gets added to the bench. Uh, Short lived. Um, but yeah, no, I said, I said the thing is, I'm fairly positive about nice. It's just a sense of like. A, a bit of a missed opportunity. The mm. fact he goes back to Villa Park, and it's just another game that none of us really want to watch. That's perhaps why they're just a bit of that mixed feeling. But in terms of actually looking at performance as a whole, if that was a Premier League game against Aston Villa and we draw that nil nil, we'd be pretty positive about that result, and you know, be fairly happy, and we'd be saying, you know, nice things. And we have said some good things about this performance moving forward. Um, Tom, before we go, obviously, since the last episode, we Chelsea have found out their Carabao Cup final opponents. It is Liverpool mm. again. Chelsea will meet Liverpool again in a domestic cup final. Um, it's happened quite a lot in the 21st century. And Tom, that news is probably, I don't know, Chelsea's task was made a bit harder. Oh, okay. well, depends how people view it. With the news that Jurgen Klopp is stepping down from Liverpool. Now, we, we're not, this is a Chelsea podcast, so we're not going to talk about, you know, the amazing work Jurgen Klopp has done at Liverpool, etc. How brilliant he is. You know, if you want that, you can, you know, I mean, you've it's been inundated on your social media through or from whatever TV channel you watch, Sky. TNT, etc. You've had it rammed down your throat and you don't want that here. But Tom, thoughts? Because a lot of people, and being too, probably go, probably makes the Carabao Cup final a tiny bit harder. You've got a Liverpool team going full, full pelt, wanting to try and make history and make this last season truly memorable. And then there's that tiny part of me that goes, well, Chelsea are very, are quite good at spoiling parties and kind of ruining the narrative <laughs> and, and doing that. You know, you think about Chelsea and Wenger's 1000th game, you think about, you know, Chelsea, you know, helping Leicester win the title uh, by by that game against Tottenham, and I guess another example, even if I don't think it's a very good example, but you did people if people remember this when Manchester City announced that Manuel Pellegrini was leaving, 
in his final season, Pep Guardiola taking over Manchester City did drop off a lot and then eventually, you know, just scraped into the top four at the end. But there was one point where they City could easily have been, say, going for a title that season, but then they just did fall off quite a bit. Tom, there's obviously the chance that, you know, it could just kill those Liverpool players. You know, maybe especially some of those players that have signed this season, given that they'd have thought, oh, you know, working with Klopp is going to be a long time. Um, but also, you know, you think it would just also fuel them a bit more. Just thoughts, where do you stand on this? It was already a tough task, but it just feels like it's got a whole lot more difficult. And again, yeah. that also then just links back to Wednesday, the first Premier League game at Anfield with them going for a Premier League title since uh, since the news broke. I'm slightly more worried about Wednesday immediately because I think that there will be a big reaction. Liverpool, I've been a lot more pro-Liverpool than pro-Arsenal this season, despite their sort of similar-ish positions in in the table. And I've been backing Liverpool quite a way. Um, uh, I I can see Liverpool basically going really close to winning the quadruple this season. Um, Hopefully we can nip that in the bud pretty quickly in a month's time. Chelsea will be underwhelming underdogs for that game, but I, I have I have real hope that Chelsea can. You just want them to compete, right? And hopefully, some a seed of doubt can be planted in the heads of Liverpool um, that Chelsea can really cause them problems. And hopefully, that comes on Wednesday night. And I think that Chelsea will cause Liverpool problems. They might not win the game, they might lose the game, but I want them to cause problems. I wouldn't be surprised if Liverpool went and won three or four trophies this season. Um, I know that the flip side to that is that I think Klopp did this before at Dortmund and it sort of backfired. Ferguson did it 20-odd years ago and it backfired before retiring. He deliberately didn't tell people he was leaving before Man United won the league in his last season and stuff like that. Um I, I just think Jurgen Klopp is is, is so good in this sense. Um that it will really add fire to Liverpool, to be honest. But cup finals in particular, I think it's it's too unpredictable. It's too much of a one-off to make the difference. I don't think Klopp leaving Liverpool at the end of the season is going to be the difference between Chelsea and Liverpool in that cup final particularly. That will come down to a quality thing. I think it will make more of a difference in the league, um, where over whatever it is, 17 games, this could give Liverpool the edge on on their opponents. And that doesn't really impact Chelsea that much. Um, all I can say is it definitely hasn't been the same since Frank Lampard got in his face at Anfield in, 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 in 2020. So, Yeah, yeah, indeed, indeed. And I said, Pep, if you're listening, mate, if you want to bounce anytime soon, feel free as well, man. Jürgen's leaving. You can, back, you can go with him too. That'd be, that'd be nice. You two could, can go and chill. Now, honestly, the narrative, obviously the narrative, the Europa League is one trophy Liverpool have won. So if they're to win one trophy, then I'll, I'll allow them a Europa League, folks. You know, <laughs> Pep, Pep, I need you to try extra hard to win this Premier League and deny and deny Liverpool that. And then obviously Chelsea can hopefully do the business in then, in the Carabao Cup final. But you know, will... the Europa League is one trophy, is not one. So I'll begrudgingly, I'll begrudgingly allow you that one, Jurgen, to go. So your story goes full circle. Um, if if Klopp but, can yeah. leave with one Premier League title, that would absolutely end any Klopp over Mourinho talk as well. Um, which, not to sound too blasphemous, I think there is potentially scope for it being in the conversation if he was to win a second. I know he'd have one less than Mourinho, but I think given what he's also done at Liverpool and the sort of building job he did, I think you could actually sort of put him in that conversation. But if he ends with one Premier League title, even against this Pep Guardiola team, I think you go, ah, Mourinho, Mourinho was better, man. But I don't. I hate those sorts of conversations. 
but it would give yep. Chelsea fans real ammunition. Yep, yep. And as I said, Chelsea fans already have the ammunition. Benny Nizar Kinsella kind of did that, did that yesterday with his tweet that, you know, Chelsea basically yeah. been as successful as Liverpool in this Klopp era. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, obviously the, the, the Carabao Cup final can help, you know, uh, turn that the other way, etc. But yeah, the fact that Chelsea been as successful as Liverpool in this this Klopp era, despite being highly dysfunctional, I would say though, I probably would rather, you know, this won't be the most popular thing to say, but I probably would have rather done it for Liverpool. Wait, it probably would have been a bit more enjoyable. Yeah, I would. I would rather. Chelsea fans probably won't admit this. Chelsea fans won't admit it because they kind of go, they like thrive on the chaos aspect of it. But I'll be honest, I'd I'd kill to have like a relationship with a manager as long as Liverpool fans have had with Klopp, and to just have that feeling of just. Yeah, because let's be honest, we've we've loved Chelsea winning the trophies and it's been great. But how many of those seasons have we also just been thoroughly depressed or distraught at a, a manager going or just something something happening and just being like and just feeling so apathetic to it? Like before we won, before two came in and won the Champions League, how depressed were lots of us? I will say lots of us because obviously there were some people who were delighted when Frank left. But how depressed were lots of us when when Frank got sacked and we thought, oh, the world is over, we've lost our football club, etc. How? You know, and then how sad were lots of people again when Tuchel went, and how like, you know, yeah. I, you know. Anyway, this is a side point. We we rambled on, and it's a good sign to to wrap things up. But uh, but yeah, it's uh, you know, hopefully Chelsea can can spoil a party, which you know they they have been known to do, but have also not done it for for a while. You know, Jurgen, we helped your team win the the Premier League when we beat City two one in lockdown. So you know, you we you kind of owe us one. So uh, lose the care about to us, please. You but no, two, we wait and see that. We'll wrap it up. Can't do that. Come on, like they owe us one. It like that. Like we're a Kepper. Look at the positives. There won't be any Kepper. Yeah, there's no, there's no Kepper who has been involved in Chelsea's last two penalty shootout defeats in the Carabao Cup final. Yeah, there's no, there's no. Oh God, him, him being subbed on as a penalty specialist to then proceed to concede all eleven, all eleven penalties and then miss, miss his kick is ah. But just depressing. It was also like depressing is the fact that then Tuchel basically learned the following shoot. I was like, Mendy's not a great PUBG stuffer, but Kepa is scarming. I'm keeping Mendy on him. Yeah, no, hopefully none of that again. How did, Who, how did we let Simicast win a, win a trophy against us with the final kick? Why have to be him? He's crap. Well, what's still, what's still, what's still great to me is that Van Dyke penalty in the Carabao Cup final. Kepa literally tells him where to put it. He puts it there and it still goes in. And it's just like, Kepa, mate, honestly. No, I'm haunted. I'm haunted because. Because I look at the Chelsea players who took penalties in that shoot at Harvard's office. Timo Werner scored his penalty, folks. There was a lot of <laughs> there was a strong chance a lot of us thought he was missing. Romelu Lukaku scored his penalty. Strong, strong chance, strong narrative. He was missing. Trevor Chalabar scored his penalty. Diago Silva scored his penalty. But no, but no, Kepa could not save one penalty out of eleven. Anyway, I'm still, I'm still, still annoyed. That, that also side point. That also day has basically ruined Dua Lipa's one kiss for me. I will never listen to. I can never listen oh, to that God. song again because I was in Wembley waiting to go out and that was blaring over the speakers because Liverpool as they do have adopted that song and it was just going in my ears and I was like I want to get out of here I'm miserable I've watched <laughs> Chelsea dominate and batter Liverpool somehow not score cheers Mason Man as well for that um, and then <laughs> lose on penalties because Kepa who was brought on to do the one thing he's meant to be good at could not do that but anyway we are really rambling now and it is late it's been you know a fun episode to record of a podcast even if Chelsea you know have not progressed in the cup they are still in the cup and you know by the next episode we all know who Chelsea could potentially face in the FA Cup as well so uh we'll wait to see what happens there uh Tom it's been a pleasure having you on my man give yourself one last where people can find you and all your stuff thank you very much Nick as, as always it's been a pleasure and I think we've managed to go on for long enough about a game that ultimately ended nil nil um you can find me at Tom Coley 49 on Twitter for the cricket 
and the football shit posting and also anything written in longer form uh, out on football.london and across some of the other reach sites, uh, Manchester Evening News and Liverpool Echo in the coming weeks and months as well. Lovely, lovely stuff. Tom's links will be in the description below. And as you said, if you want to you know, gauge the mood and the the feel of an England cricket fan and how much they believe that, you know, how much hope this England team are giving them in the in the first test against India and whether or not they can pull it off. And then you want to see how long that hope uh, is, is there for before India inevitably, uh, you know, get off to a flyer and, and knock whatever this, this run chase is off. But hey, I woke up this Saturday to record the podcast and England is still in the test match, is still back. So this Saturday has already gone better than I expected. Uh, so that is very very nice and it's the holdovers later at the cinema called Giamatti looking forward to, to seeing that anyway as for us you can find us on Twitter or X at that Chelsea pod Instagram that Chelsea pod one all your usual podcast platform providers Apple Spotify Google etc if you've enjoyed what you've heard please feel free to leave a rating and a review whenever I do the pod and you likes and repost go a long way and if you want to repost the pod it helps us get on to other people's timelines yeah it was a frustrating Friday evening Sanford Bridge against Aston Villa, resulting in an extra game that nobody wants, but there were positives to take. We also kind of learned, you know, that this Chelsea still have those same flaws and probably aren't going to really, those aren't really going to go anytime soon. But we've got another tie against Aston Villa to look forward to. But we'll be back next week uh, to look back at Chelsea's trip to Anfield. So until then, keep a blue flag flying high. Chelsea nil, Villa nil. Got to go to Birmingham and do it all over again. How Martinez has kept two clean sheets at the bridge now this season is absolutely beyond me. Why do we keep hitting it low to the guy? He hit it low to him, he's going to save it. Just everything was low at him again, like the first game against them. Um, to be honest, I just knew it wasn't going to be our day. The second Palmer took that touch of an elephant when he was one on one. But yeah, performance is good. I think Petrovic is really putting a case now for number one. Some cracking saves again last night. And special mention to Douglas Louise, who tried conning everyone by punching the ball in the net, which I thought was the most blatant handball of the night, which somehow the officials missed, which summed up their performance. Anyway, Scousers on midweek. After the clock news, that should be a whole lot of fun, shouldn't it? Sports Social Podcast Network.